Zwift has group rides for all levels. With a ride approximately every 30 minutes, you can join a group and ride that fits your schedule and your level. Group rides stay together behind a leader. They enjoy friendly banter, a relaxed vibe, a little bit of fun and some friendly racing. Just like rides in the real world, except there's no worries about a rear wheel puncher slowing the group down or being left behind. Check it out for yourself at Zwift.com today. Welcome to the Zwift Cycling Central podcast for a dive into the world of cycling for another week. Before we start, let me remind you that you can uh, download or stream our podcast on sbs.com.au slash cyclingcentral or on any podcast platform you may like, including Spotify, actually. It's good to say Zwift Cycling Central podcast. Joining me today, it's Dave McKenzie. Hey, Dave. Hey, good to be here. I've, uh, I've gone and done my uh, couple of hours this morning. I'm ready to rock and roll. Are you? Tired? Yeah. Oh, well, yes, I am. It's a, it was a big month, uh, last month of cycling, but it's amazing how quickly it moves, isn't it? Absolutely. And joining us with uh, uh, Smile, as always, Pacho. Hey, Pat. Hey, guys. Yeah, well, Mac, I haven't been out for my couple of hours this morning. Tonight, I'm going to be going to the uh, Ballarat Smashwell Cycling Club Criterium. Pin on a number the first time in 14 months. It's going to be a fair few guys looking to give me a fair belting, I oh, think. Oh, yeah. Is that off the bike? How about on the bike? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good one. And to touch on it, it's good to see that the top three are back on the pod. Again, see, look at that. He's already given some cheap. Poor old Matty Keenan or, or Brady O'Donnell. Not here to defend themselves. Okay. No, actually, let's call it no. <laughs> uh, let's talk cycling. Let's talk about what's been happening. Oman, Tour of Oman. Alexei or Alexei Luchenko from Astana won it. How good Astana at the minute? Unbelievable is what they are. They're like motorbikes. Um, it's like probably some of the best uh, performances that they've been able to produce for a long time and uh, some really clear signs sent to the rest of the peloton. Lutsenko, who predominantly performs well on sort of like the undulating terrain, all of a sudden was climbing the climbs as strong as he rides that flat and the driver. He's the driver of the team normally. Well, they just blew everyone away, and uh, he and Lopez were just a, a, a level above everyone else. Well, yeah, I was going to say, Lopez, is he's exciting. We saw splashes of that last year, didn't we? And Lutsenko as well. Two riders that I think will step up this year. I just wonder... Yeah, it's very early days, though, isn't it, in terms of the season? And, yeah, that um, was that was a question. Is yeah. that well? What are they? Can what, they keep it earlier? What on? are their goals? Lutsenko, he's a guy you would think that can sort of go all season. You know, he'll he'll now target the classics, and then he'll he'll be in one of the grand tours, and he'll be up the road and attacking and you know, doing a bit of everything. So he'll just be good. Lopez, you know, who knows what he can do? I mean, he's he's quality. We know that. He's already proved it. And yeah, now he's got to prove himself at the top, top level Grand over two, podium. three weeks. Grand yeah. Tour podiums are definitely his aim. But uh, still, you know, as bad as Astana has that image, I love to see when they're going well because it means we're going to see exciting racing. They usually throw tactics a little bit out the window. They're a very strong team. So, uh, But Aru is not here anymore. You know, Aru's moved on. Aru was the, the loose cannon. Mm. What you, what you, one of the loose cannons. What are you suggesting that these riders have started to uh, prepare better for racing now that they don't have... Aru. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> no comment. <Yeah. laughs> no, it is interesting. I mean, 
the other thing with that is, yes, you have to remind yourselves, don't you, that quite a lot of changes this year. And I know Absolutely. we're already well and truly into the year and we've touched on it, but you forget that guys like Aru have moved on to a new team now. And, um, yeah, you've got to get used to the jerseys. You're going to have to uh, reshuffle your... Uh your sheets for when my you go to the front. Yeah, yeah, my your cheat sheet. sheet. Yeah. <laughs> I can't, can't use the one that I've been using for the last four years. <laughs> Wikipedia, you need to update. <laughs> I'm only kidding. Uh, this week we are in Abu Dhabi. I almost want to say, uh, what's the point of those two uh, in terms of the, the calendar? Good question. But I guess you can say the same about January in Australia. Um, of course, first yeah. World Tour event, and then you've got the Cadell Race, the Herald Sun Tour, the National Champs. Obviously, that's important. But they're training camps. To be blatantly honest, their training camps, um, they, but they do, they do count for a result for the riders, firstly. Sure, you chime in on this. Um, and they count for the teams. I mean, they want to see wins and victories, and, they, and that counts for morale. So they do count. The funny thing is, though, for the big, big teams, and, and I mean that, the World Tour teams, points don't count as much anymore because those teams already have the best riders in the world, don't they? So as long as they maintain their World Tour status, they're fine. And the funny thing with that is there's not too many other teams. It's not like there's 20 other teams knocking on the door, desperate, hey, we have millions, we want to join the World Tour as well. <laughs> it's not like other sports like football or tennis where you know there's loads and loads of cash floating around. No, it's not so much based on the points for the teams to remain in the World Tour as it is to decide in the early races, the convoy order, particularly for the Classics, That's which is point. so crucial. You go into these Classics and when it's single file, most of the time your team cars may be two minutes behind you. So if you get a mechanical or a flat, you may not see them to then get your change and be back in the group to, to potentially take a result. But also keep in mind Baran Merida, uh, UAE. These mm -hmm. are massive parts of uh, cycling now. Without their support, maybe the cycling infrastructure falls down a bit. So uh, without these races being in their areas of the world, we wouldn't have them as big uh, sponsors and endorsers of cycling. So it's important and, you know, it's it's much about the the expansion of cycling worldwide, you know, much like football is. If you take it to all parts of the world, then it's got a better chance of being uh, a huge sport. Very, very, geez, very grown up and diplomatic from you, Shuri. <laughs> but you're right. No, you raised a couple of good points and one with the, the team order of the cars. But just, again, emphasise what you just said. Those two teams, you're probably talking 30 to $40 million investment per annum into the sport. And it's like, I guess, Orica Green Edge from their very original days. Outside of Tour de France, Tour Down Under was the most important race for them because it was a world tour and in Australia, so the home country of, obviously, Jerry Ryan, Jayco and, and the backer. And it's the same, dare I say, for these teams. Outside of Giro d'Italia, Tour de France... Oman and Abu Dhabi are the most important races for them. And furthermore to that, they wouldn't be happy having Rui Costa just finish 10th at Oman. Like That's not the result they wanted. That's why no. they come to down under with their riders that are going to perform in, in, in Abu Dhabi and in Oman. And uh, the results, they didn't come. Although Christoph has picked up a victory for UAE, it's really not the start of the season that they like. And they want their riders in big form for this part of the calendar because all their big wigs that put money into the team, they are on the ground at these events. Yeah. So pressure is on the team UAE, really. Yeah. Tom Dumoulin came out uh, just, uh, he spoke to Sophie, Sophie Smith uh, on Cycling Central. There's a great article, actually. Uh, hit the website, sbs.com.au slash Cycling Central for it. Pretty, pretty vocal with the case, or against the case with Froome. He's getting upset as much as Kino or Makaha were getting upset last time. 
Tom Dumoulin is getting very upset. I think he makes a really valid point. And, uh, you know, you, you speak about Keno and Maka in the, in the last pod, touched on the fact that, you know, for how long do we call uh, Chris Froome to the line and he wins stages or places or, or finishes results and then all of a sudden these results are taken away? A little sidestep, but I thought in Rue del Sol, Team Sky did a really good job of getting Chris Froome exposure to the racing without putting him in the front of the race. Hey, come, on, come on, yeah. He finished 10th. When was the last time <laughs> Froome finished 10th and actually was happy about finishing 10th yes. in the race? Yeah, there was a yeah, there was certainly a low-key... You know, he did a little... He's, He's on the PR train that Maddie Cannon and I have been upset over. Yeah. <laughs> Maddie more than me, I think. But he, he's been on that posting, oh, it's great to be back racing. Thanks for all your support. But but let's not talk too much about it. Yeah. And, and that's that's the big thing that bugs me. And it, it bugs me a little bit, Christoph, and this is probably something for you to answer. Why, why is it? I, I know there is still articles coming out about Chris Froome, but why are the media not absolutely hounding the fact that there is we're not getting updates of when this is there's going to be a resolution we don't know no nobody knows where it's at so i find that bizarre i would agree the, the cycling world I, has, I, a, has a right to know don't they this is my take on it because it's the only thing that makes sense i think they're very scared that if you're in the media and you're pulling shreds off chris Froome and then he comes out he's cleared that you won't get that next interview or you but, won't get that big piece and if you, he goes you, you on know the, how quickly they are to flick people <laughs> through as well yes that's true actually <laughs> dave brailsford i think it was at one of the well, it must have been tour de france last year and he made a point and he, he said it in the room with, you know, 50 or 100 journalists, reporters, TV, radio, podcasts. Um, and he said, hang on, where are you from? And he said, no, I'm not talking to you. And I might as well say I'm not talking to this person and yep. that person. Made it very clear. And uh, But I shouldn't stop, to be honest. Yeah. Like, as a journalist, I shouldn't no, stop. Yeah, 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 no, I know. But if Chris Froome goes, he gets clear to this. He goes on, he wins 6-7 Tour de France. You want that story, Christophe. Dave. You want that story. And that's where they're thinking. I, I, I really think that... From a purist standpoint, from a rider that raced, and okay, I'd, I'd, I've raced with Chris Froome in the Sun Tour, but uh, you know, I'm not at his level. But it, yeah, it really does grind my gears that this continues to go on. I think if anything that we learned from the Contador saga was that having him continue to race while this case was over his head, it, it showed just how stupid it was. Because in hindsight, then we go back and we've got to redo all these results sheets. And, yeah. and they affect the results. These are riders that affect the results. Chris and they affect Froome, the credibility of the whole sport. And it affects the credibility. It, it it affects the credibility of the process. That's what that's what exactly it, we all can't stand. Mm. How long does it take to make a make an assumption, make an, a, a, a reaction to what's happened? It's Selbutamol. He's one point nine times over. Let's sort it out, and let's sort it out swiftly, quickly. But let's sort it out because because you're right. It's not like it's an unknown substance. It's not like it's an unknown reading. And, and it's, it's not, not like, like an old rider. And it's not like it's got a 10-day half-life. You yeah, know, this no. stuff goes out of your system pretty quick. And probably, and on that though, what, I'm, what I don't fully understand is who is prolonging this? Is it Sky? Yeah. Is it Chris Froome? Because his lawyers are onto it and they are trying to drag it out in a financial sense to mm. stop UCI or water from continuing it? Or is it the other way around? Or is it a bit of both? Um, but either way... It's, I think I think a lot of it, my bad. take on it is a lot of people are almost too careful mm. around handling this case. It's a mm. very hot potato yes. on yes. both yep. sides, yep. and UCI doesn't want to stuff it up, and yep. I reckon Sky doesn't want to stuff They're it a bit up. Gun as well. shy. Everyone, and you can understand that in a way. 
Mm-hmm. You can understand from what our sport's been through. I get that. Well, but I someone stand uh, up uh, with some uh, Grande Kahunas and yep. just actually you know, I don't pull the trigger. I think the the riders have come out. We've heard several of the highest riders, in rated riders in the world, come out and speak their mind. And I think that uh, they wouldn't do that if they weren't in a clean uh, situation themselves. So it shows that the sport has cleaned up somewhat and it needs to send a message. But if I was... Team Sky, as much as Chris Froome's the number one rider in the world or renowned rider, have a look at all the results they're pulling while he's 10th on general classification at Ruta del Sol. They're winning stages. Uh, they changed the general classification on the final day in Spain as well with uh, Kwiatkowski. He, and then they ran 1-2, Kwiatkowski and Garen Thomas. They don't need Chris Froome to win the Tour de France. Oh, I believe they can win it without him. And I tell you... I think that Team Sky is losing a lot of support from people on the sidelines, but I think without Chris Froome, they may become a bigger and better team than they ever were. I wonder what the the reaction in the peloton, you know, what it will be if Froome is here at the start in Israel for the Giro. What would be that feeling in amongst riders? Because you're right, many riders came out and were very vocal and not very supportive of Chris Froome. So, no, there was there was knee jerk reaction from a few. And they and they ret- and to their credit, the guys and uh, I think it was Tony Martin was one of those, and he did retract a little bit because he said afterwards, and it might, or it might have even been Andre Greipel. They it's quite poor, I think. Yeah, so they retracted a little bit later, and it was fair enough. They they sort of flew off the handle and then understood the rules a bit better. Like I think we all sort of got our heads around it was that it wasn't a positive drug test, and that's the that is the key thing. Let's let's give Chris the uh, respect that he deserves in this case. It's not a positive, positive drug test. This drug, you're allowed to take it. It's the limit that he's taken. It's the, the amount he's taken, I should say. I use, so that's sell, the key I thing. use sell butamol yep. as an asthma preventer because yep. I was severe asthmatic. But, Macca, you, if, if I had that volume, I would be shaking profusely. So yeah, but what, what I think what Macca is saying is that it's not EPO. I know, I it's know, not, I know. Yeah, but, Meldonium, but there is, yeah. Yeah. It's, like saying that, it's like saying that it's the AFL grand final, Macca, and the ball went out of bounds, and, and but the player brought it back in. It's the rules. The rules are the rules. That's right. So just because he brought it back in and it didn't get called then and there, did he cheat? Well, he did. Did he unknowingly cheat? Potentially, that's, that's the question. but the rules are the rules. That's the question, isn't it? The rules are it? in place to safeguard sponsors, riders, the sports integrity and the rest. The riders abide by those rules and when they sign their agreement with the National Federation to ride in the UCI accredited events which are covered by WADA and its uh, other national bands, these are the rules they know exist. It's going and to That's bubble. where it's taking the piss is yeah. him still riding and, and it's almost like he's too big for the sport. It's going to simmer. It's going to simmer and and towards a boiling point at the closer we get to the Giro, isn't it? That's what's going to happen. And then it's going to be crunch time decision-making from either the, the cycling world, if you like, whether it's the UCI or RCS, Giro organisers, and Team Sky itself. Because I think the pressure will mount if we don't have a resolution prior to the Giro where the Sky will say, no, Chris, you can't do it. Let's Let's actually respect the sport and not start. And they should. Something tells me that uh, subject that's going to come back every time we do a podcast. You know? <laughs> it, uh, yeah, yeah, we're, we're obviously not. Yeah, let's see. I'm sick of it. Let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> well, no. <laughs> but let's move on. Some great cycling coming in front of us. Uh, first of all, we'll talk about the Commonwealth Games. Team has been announced. Uh, Pat, I know you are involved in the, the Commonwealth Games. Uh, you're actually heading over there. Um, they got an orange boy this year, the Com Games. 
Really? Really? The, 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 drink, the drink's cut. The drink's cut. The drink's cut. The water boy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're welcome to come too if I'm you want, Mac. No, no, no. It's, um, I think it's a really strong team. I think it's the strongest team Australia sent to the Commonwealth Games in a long time. Obviously, it's in our home nation, so we uh, want to perform the best possible results. But it seems also in the past sometimes the, the riders don't put their hands up eagerly because they want to stay in Europe for the European season. But this time, and it seems that also their teams have been more than happy to um, let them go. It's great to see an absolute ripper women's team for the road race. I think Absolutely. They're going to be incredibly difficult to beat. But the men's team, very strong as well, and yep. anchored by, obviously, Melbourne Commonwealth Games road champion Matthew Heyman. Yeah, that's great. I'm going to be a little bit controversial. I struggle with the Commonwealth Games because the hype, the build-up, and... Probably more so. I remember covering the the uh, Commonwealth Games in no in Melbourne. I covered in Delhi as well, but it, I just distinctly remember Melbourne. There are about twenty women in the road race, and you know, obviously five or six of them were Australian, and they were probably the top five or six. I, I just struggle with the amount of money that gets poured into Commonwealth Games. And there's already been talk about how many more will they have because of the cost. So, you know, I don't want to take the limelight away from the riders that have been selected. And, and for the women more so, it's, it's more important, unfortunately, dare I say it, because they don't get the accolades that they deserve in the professional side of our sport. But saying that, Amanda Spratt has foregone selection to focus on the classic. So I'm excited about her um, targeting Liège based on Liège. But, yeah, I have a real – it doesn't sit right with me, just on a couple of levels, the Com Games. So sorry to be a party pooper. But... No, um, I'm going to take it even further because mm. I, I wasn't born here. I'm, I'm, I'm an import. You're saying you're I'm finding out what the Commonwealth Games is? <laughs> the whole Commonwealth game for me is actually you – know, when you go to a game and you end up with 180 goals or something like this, yeah. it's kind of a you know, uh, it's a bit strange. Yes, it is. That's why he stands. He sits quite strangely for me as a whole, as a whole community game. But I'm sure Pat, you're gonna have a good time. I'll have, yeah, a, yeah, I'll have, no, I'll have a great time. You, you guys, just uh, the party poopers. Um, You'll be able to go I, movie world, what, sea world. Um, oh, it'll be awesome. Exactly. Nusa, Nusa not too far. The the side that I would like to focus more on is the fact that we are in such strength in both men's and women's professional cycling now and and uh we're sending teams that could win you know a world tour event and that's probably what the underlining part that I'm trying to get at is that it's great now that any team that Australia selects for any particular race to represent the nation is going to be one that can win a gold medal i think the track will be exciting the track's good and because the, the levels you know, the, the general level, I think, is higher at the track because obviously you've got all the Brits but and split up into their, their different... And the Kiwis. The Kiwis, I was going to say. Yeah, exactly. The Kiwis so you've got a really there. strong um, track program. The road, not as much. But anyway, it is what it is. It's good. <laughs> so if we need to... Who, who are we looking at in the Australian team for the, for the road race, men and women? Uh, Alex Edmondson. Potentially for the men's, if not Matt so, Heyman, maybe national, Matt Heyman will get a chance. But national, the national champion. champion Alex Evanson, and in the women's, I think they've got uh, you know they've got Garfoot, and then they've got uh, Hosking, Shannon Melseed, the national champion, who has said she'll ride a domestic role. Uh, Sarah Roy's been announced. Gracie Alvin and, and Tiffany Cromwell. Like, uh, if you could sign them all into one team, you've got a pretty good yeah, world tour team. Yeah. So. Um, you know, they all have opportunities. We've seen in the past um, where um, riders that would not normally have got an opportunity, say, at an Olympic Games to go up the road, have gone up the road. Matt Heyman won in Melbourne. Uh, Still Von Hoff selected too. He's in the long in term, the isn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's a 
great. That that'd be great for Steel if he could uh, do something, and he potentially could on home soil. I was. I'm glad you actually brought Steel up because I was going to put a, a social media post out about this. It's, isn't it interesting? He wrote for Garmin, then he went back to UK. It all seemed like it was over. He's come back to Australia. His old boss Andrew Christie Johnson and Steve Price give him an opportunity in a continental Australian domestic team. He finishes sixth in the final stage of Tour Down Under. He finishes top ten at Cadell Evans Road Race. Uh, he goes on to the Sun Tour, and he does well there as well, wins the sprint jersey, and now he's been selected in the Commonwealth Games. For a guy who thought it was all done, he's, um, he could probably rack it after that and be very happy with the final part, could. but he won't do that. because no. he's, How old is he? Uh, Steel Von Hoff, I reckon he's 28. I'd, I'd love to see a second coming of Steel Von Hoff in Europe. Well, I'm not sure if that will happen, but I think, he's, I think he just missed the boat by a couple of percent to, to step up that really high, high level. He's been there. He got there, as you said. He went to Garmin. But, yeah, I'd love to see him um, yeah, go again. And on track, uh, I know the track is called the Anna Mills uh, track, yes. I think. Uh, um, so that's, that's an important recognition to the, the impact Anna has, uh, has had on the sport. What can we expect on the track? So it's a very good endurance team that's been selected as well. Rebecca Wysak, we know she had that terrible fall uh, tour down under, nearly ripped her face off. Mm. Uh, but she's got her selection, so I think that's probably the story of the selection. Um, unfortunately, Macy Stewart missed out. She also has had a bit of um, unfortunate circumstances recently that injuries that she couldn't overcome but uh, the pursuit team will be good but the Brits will have a good pursuit team as well. I think that's uh, what yeah that's what's exciting I think about the the events because it's that middle it's that middle time period isn't it before the next Olympic cycle and let's face it for the track riders and the, the riders that purely focus on that track it's all about the Olympics for them so this is a bit of a half-time competition if you like between between drinks you know before they go well this again. is as much a half-time competition within the team as well for the Olympic Games yeah, in Tokyo because yep. there's plenty of guys in the men's team that are fighting each other for positions maybe in the Madison or uh, in, uh, in other events. And uh, I don't think there's going to be much love lost. Uh, and you can see even in the presentation of the team, you know, there, there's divide amongst those riders whether they like to admit it or not. Do you know what? You just made me very interested in the Commonwealth Games. Yeah, I wasn't well, I, until now. I know, yeah, I so <laughs> hey, when are they on? I'll just write it down. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> watch. Must watch. <laughs> Incredible cycling coming up. I think you are heading towards the. the we are all heading towards the classic seasons. Uh, you are heading to I Europe. Will be the, on the ground. You will be on oh, the gee, ground. I can already taste that first Belgian beer. Ah, for the the the, the frit. The no, chips. I, I start. Well, I do. I start on a palm, as in palm of your hand. Beautiful uh, ale, and then I just slowly progress up. And generally, that involves a cone of um, frites with mayonnaise. Now, Maka, we were talking about it earlier. So, uh, and not to give you a soft plug, but a hard one. You do your cycling too. How good, how good of a level does a, a rider need to be at to come I on tour? Because, I just bought a bike. Yeah. You did. Uh, I've got one year to get Actually, to it. <laughs> I've just seen that bike. We won't talk about brands or anything, but it is a perfect sort of bike for the Parve, isn't it? It's, exactly. Got, it's a bit of a cyclocross. How, uh, much, how much preparation does someone need to do to come on, say, no, one of your no, tours not, for the not, classics? Jokes aside, not a, not a huge amount. And that's, that's the trouble we have or I have, the challenge I have trying to convince people because they think on this hardcore I want to take everyone on 150-kilometre journeys every day. We don't. It's actually – it can be very cold. The first – generally, the first four or five days is freezing. And then it – I mean, the last few years, it's actually been warm. And we've seen Paris Bay. You know, they haven't had 
my, my partner in the business said to me a couple of years ago, gee, we've been lucky with the weather. And I said, no, I think it's just global warming. Because yeah. you think back, I think it's now 12 years since we've had a, a wet, wet Paris-Roubaix. I think Stuart Grady won the first dry one. It had been wet the year before, and it's been dry since. And the, that the one Studio Grady one oh seven was it was twenty eight degrees. Last year it was twenty four. Out on the, on the through those farmlands, were there? I was in t shirt and shorts, and it was magic. Because in terms of yeah, fitness, I'm okay with the beer and the mayonnaise on the chips. Oh, you're, yeah, yeah. I've got you <laughs> in my sights. I've got you in my sights. I don't know if you've caught it, Macca, but you should, uh, certainly shouldn't. Anyone listening, check out the uh, d- the French uh, DVD on uh, Le Vélo Guylain Lambert. Le Vélo de Guylain Lambert. It's uh, fantastic. I know Christophe's been uh, inspired by <laughs> Guylain. And if you you really want to find it, no, like it's, to see it. No, it is brilliant. <laughs> uh, let's concentrate on what's coming up on SBS. Paris-Nice is coming up. Yes. Uh, that, that is, for me, I love that race. It's, I absolutely love Paris. It's the start, isn't it? That's sort of the start, the first big tour in Europe. We know we've had these other tours, but Paris and obviously Torino Adriatico, you know, happens around the same time in Italy because they've both been built into Milan San Remo and then the classic season. So it's it's an exciting part of the year and it's, I think, the year proper or the, the European year for all of us starts there, doesn't it? Well, the racing has been probably as good at the start of this year as what we would expect to have in May, you know, April, May. So this year really looks like it's going to be the best year of cycling throughout the whole year. But with so many of the pre-race favourites for Milan-San Remo already winning races, I think two of the top 20 rated riders for Milan-San Remo this year have not had a win. 18 of the other top 20s have all had at least one win. Uh, with two riders with one win, and it's 16 of them multiple wins already this year. That's pretty good. It's incredible. <laughs> yeah, that is pretty <laughs> That's good. That's a good fact as well. Yeah. But there's some, like I said, there's some good racing coming on SBS. You've got Paris from the 4th of March to the 11th of March, Flanders, Paris Roubaix, Amstel Gold Race, Liège Baston Liège, Tour of California, Dauphiné, of course, sort of And then the tour, yeah, it just and builds and builds and builds, doesn't it? And, um, no, the classic season is it is brilliant. It sits on its own too. You know, it's it really does compared to the tours. I think the passion, the weather, the the terrain, they're just completely different to anything else. Is there one you prefer more than the other? If you take away the Tour de France and Paris Nice in terms of the classics, yes. is there one you prefer? You know what? It used to be Tour of Flanders. I, I lived in Flanders for years. My son was born in that in the region, and so I have a. You know, it's like a second home for me. But in recent years, and this is in part due to, I guess, covering the Tour de France, the history of Paris-Roubaix does it for me. It absolutely does it for this me. This amazing documentary as well, Hell of an Off. Yes, uh, it's just it brilliant. And if you ever go to the Arenberg Forest, and, no, and I'm not talking about so much, yes, the racing side of it, but post-World War One. And, and when they thought the roads were gone, they didn't even think there were roads there and they jumped in their cars from, from Paris and started driving north. You know, the earth had been flattened, completely flattened, and then they found these roads. And then at that time, the, these towns that they were going through were embarrassed at the state of their roads. They were parvé, obviously. They started surfacing them, as in asphalt. And the race said, no, we don't, we don't want you to do Actually, that. Actually, the but, French government protected them. They're all protected. Yeah, now they, yeah. And then so it went through this period. So it's, you, you really have to read about the history, sort of the backstory outside of, or on, on the long side of the race. It's just, it is phenomenal. And so for me, that, that 
that does it for me, that race. And you're I, to- I love the classics because you see the absolute pinnacle of a, a cyclist's ability because they only win when they go 100% all the way and you see the best rider at 100%. On one and day. It's, and it's something fascinating to see. It's like Usain Bolt smashing it over 100 metres. Yeah. It's, just, it's just an impressive thing that a human being has the capability to compete like that. It's almost like a lion fighting for its feet in, in, in the wild. It's, it's just something really quite magnificent and, and it's saying that only that athlete could do on that one day. So it's not like – it's not usually a bad luck that loses you one of those days. You, the best guy usually wins. Yeah. Well. You, get to, you get to the end of 250 kilometres, the older ones I remember, and, you know, you're going up the Murder Gerardsbergen. After 250 kilometres, 20% parve, and you've got a guy that just goes whack and, and, you know, belts over it in the big chain ring or whatever. And that's – that. I agree with you totally. It's the purest form of. And a in Rube, you had to lift uh, like a twenty kilogram trophy at the end as well. <laughs> and <laughs> and at the end, you win, and then they go here, hold this, <laughs> hold this pavé. Oh, who wouldn't happily hold that? <laughs> Thank you, guys. It's been brilliant uh, to have you back in the Swift Cycling Central podcast, and we'll catch you on the next podcast. It was a pleasure being with you. Let me remind you that you can uh, always uh, keep up to date with the cycling world on our website sbs.com.au/cyclingcentral. Until next time, ride safe, and we'll see you on the next podcast. Bye for now.